Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about the struggles of the caregiver, the search for a cure, two responses to Alzheimer's. My first guest is Dr. Eitan Okun who has been a lifer at Bar-Ilan University in Ramat Gan, Israel, having earned his master's and doctorate in immunology there. Professor Okun's research analyzed how stress can affect a person's immunity to various diseases. For his doctorate, he concentrated on the immune system, specifically how different nodes in our immune systems respond to various threats. Alzheimer's is Professor Okun's primary focus. Um, he's received funding from the Alzheimer's Association, the Fetter Family, and the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Welcome, Professor Okun. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Hi. Well, it's uh, very my pleasure to be here. Well, I, I want to talk with you about the potential success of an Alzheimer's vaccine. So if we talk about potentials, the potential is high. Talk a little bit more about your research. and as a prevention of Alzheimer's, and what about in the treatment of Alzheimer's? So it's a good distinction uh, you did between uh, prevention and treatment. Uh, here's the thing. As soon as uh, we feel that uh, one of our uh, family members exhibits uh, symptoms, abnormal symptoms of behavior, for example, he doesn't uh, remember uh, uh, how to get home. Uh, he doesn't uh, all of a sudden doesn't recognize people that he used to recognize or new people. It's difficult for him to or to her to memorize names, facts, events. Then we feel that something is amiss, right? But at that time point, if you look at the brain, you realize that in a specific uh, region of the brain uh, that has to do with uh, encoding memories, there is a considerable loss of tissue. It's the result of cell death in that brain region. And so if you think about it, is it possible to do any kind of treatment that will bring that lost tissue back? 
The answer is no. And so this is why prevention and delaying the onset or progression of the disease, in this case, Alzheimer's disease, it's important. Mm. This is the distinction between treating an already ongoing disease versus trying to prevent or delay it. And when you talk about the, the tissue loss in the brain, which part of the brain are you speaking of? Is it the hippocampus? Yes, exactly. It's the hippocampus, which is almost the first to be affected in Alzheimer's. Even though I have to say that there is no clear-cut definition of, of Alzheimer's in patients. Uh, whenever a patient goes to the, to the physician, uh, the physician has a hard job to make a differential diagnosis. And in many cases, it's not clear. It has an overlay of symptoms with other uh, seemingly different pathologies. It could be a mix between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, frontotemporal dementia and Alzheimer's. It, it can be a, a variety of conditions and it's, it's not so easy, but uh, typically the hippocampus is uh, affected uh, early on. And the hippocampus is responsible for memory. Well, it's responsible uh, for um, encoding uh, memory. That's uh, true. It encodes a uh, first stage. It encodes a short-term memory. And afterwards, uh, this short-term memory is being uh, transformed into a longer-term uh, memory, which is encoded with time elsewhere in the brain. So uh, memory is a shift their location in the brain with time. And when we talk about the immune system and maintaining overall health as part of a prevention program, um, can you also talk about the known relationship, if any, between depression, exposure to excessive stress, and how that affects memory and cognition? So these are, as we call them, environmental risk factors. Okay, so for example, loss of sleep. Is a major uh, risk factor for uh, developing uh, neurological uh, disorders such as uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, chronic stress is another environmental factor. Depression uh, is also involved, but uh, it's important to understand that none of these factors is a causative agent in Alzheimer's by itself. You can find many individuals that uh, are stressed uh, throughout their life, uh, many individuals that uh, uh, exhibit uh, also sleep loss, and you will not find uh, them later on with Alzheimer's. You need to have a combination of factors that are both genetic and environmental, such as the ones we mentioned, in order to have a full-blown uh, Alzheimer's disease. And the vaccine that is being worked on, how does it work on the body and why is it so promising at this time? So I should say that the approach of vaccinating against a specific protein in Alzheimer's disease is a, it's not a new concept. It's been tested and done both in animals and humans for uh, several years now, uh, more than a decade, I should say. The difference is that our approach targets a specific group of uh, people. It's people with a condition called uh, Down syndrome. And individuals with Down syndrome, due to their uh, specific genetic uh, alteration, they exhibit Alzheimer's disease at a relatively younger age, in their uh, fifth decade of life. And a considerable um, percentage of these individuals will uh, exhibit Alzheimer's symptoms. And importantly, 
we know that Down syndrome can be diagnosed as early as uh, during uh, pregnancy. And so this puts this population, a target population for treating Alzheimer's symptoms very early on, which is uh, an advantage in light of the lack of ability to perform early diagnosis for Alzheimer's in the general population. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And at what point in our development would the vaccine be administered? It's not clear for me the answer. So I I cannot tell you exactly, but we know that as we grow old, our immune system changes. So for example, when we are very young, when we're babies, the immune system develops. So it's still too young. It's premature perhaps for this uh, kind of vaccination. And when we are old, the immune system is getting less efficient. We see that also in, uh, in our mice. So we need to find a midpoint that the vaccine will be most effective. Uh, we also need to take into consideration that Alzheimer's disease is sort of being hidden under sight for several decades before it uh, appears in uh, clinical symptoms. Take this into consideration, so probably in the early decades of your life, perhaps uh, 30, perhaps 40, but I cannot tell you for sure. But it's neither young nor old. There's a sort of a sweet spot where the body is going to be most receptive to its value? Yeah, and plus, don't well, I, I cannot say don't forget because I didn't explain it, but the vaccination is against the protein that is made by the body itself. So we don't want to vaccinate too early against the protein that is made by the body itself. That's why uh, we need to find, really find that uh, soft spot. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Professor Eitan Okun about Alzheimer's and what's on the horizon in terms of a vaccine. To learn more about his work, please visit Okun Lab, and that's O-K-U-N-L-A-B dot Wixsite dot com slash Okun Lab. And I'm going to repeat that because it's a little bit of a unique uh, website. That's Okun Lab dot Wixsite dot com slash Okun Lab. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. 
Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about the search for a cure to Alzheimer's disease. Our focus today is the struggles of the caregiver and, of course, the search for a cure. Let's return to the conversation with Dr. Eitan Okun. Before the break, we were talking about how the potential vaccine works. And Professor Okun, I want to ask you now about how close we are to human trials and actually bringing the vaccine to the marketplace. Well, it's not uh, the best news. It, it will not be in the next uh, decade. Uh, hopefully, it will be before the next uh, two decades. Before I need it, I hope. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's not uh, it's not easy to develop a treatment for an age-related uh, disease in a timely manner. It's not easy because of the early time point in which intervention is needed and the long time it takes for the disease to uh, emerge, it takes a lot of time to test drugs and early diagnosis, and you can't develop drugs before you have uh, early diagnosis, really. And it's very expensive. Most yeah. companies uh, withdrew their uh, efforts from this field because of that. And so, therefore, uh, I'm optimistic about the fact that well, I don't know if it's a fact, but I'm optimistic for the prospects to have a treatment at some point, but I'm not optimistic as far as the timeline. It's not going to be uh, real soon. And so it leaves us with the question of what can be done. I mean, we're sort of uh, seemingly helpless. And uh, the answer that uh, people in the field uh, have is that engaging in uh, physical activity, aerobic physical activity, and in enrichment, cognitive enrichment, intellectual enrichment is the only uh, thing you can do. And it, it's really working. I mean, uh, physical activity benefits the brain and, and elsewhere in the body. It generates more blood vessels. It is beneficial for cognitive uh, activities and exposure to uh, stimuli, to uh, uh, enrichment in our uh, intellectual uh, capacity uh, causes the formation of more connections between nerve cells in the brain, uh, which is beneficial for delaying Alzheimer's. So that kind of intervention that's in the hands of everyone, really, almost everyone, and it's really up to people to determine whether they will do the maximum they can for themselves until a real solution in the form of vaccination, etc., will be out. Well, I think what you share about really lifestyle management is so important, not just for the prevention of the onset of Alzheimer's, but also for quality of life and an improved immune system so we don't become susceptible to other diseases and illnesses. I, I'm not sure that uh, the interventions I mentioned necessarily affect uh, our susceptibility to infections. For example, it's pretty much shown that too much of a good thing is, is bad. For example, too much of a physical activity actually is det detrimental for you. So uh, it was shown that people that uh, engage in physical activity every day, I mean excessive physical activity, actually their immune system and their susceptibility to infections, the susceptibility goes up. As in many things, you need to do it in a, in a good uh, dosage. For the average person, 
to get out and have an hour a day of exercise, let's say, or engaging on a regular basis in new learning, eating a healthy diet, getting the right amount of sleep, having these good connected social relationships, sort of the prescription for a good life is helpful also in the prevention of disease, isn't it? So with respect to sleep, I agree. Sleep is important for uh, preserving memories and to moving them from short term to long term so that we will be able to actually perform a learning experience. So that's important. We know that. Physical activity, that's important. Diet is known to be so bad diet, like what we call unhealthy diet, uh, uh, which it's good, but it's really difficult to say what is a good diet. There are so many views on this and really we differ so much between us that there is no specific diet that is good for all of us. The way we metabolize food is so different between ourselves that uh, there is no single prescription as far as diet goes. And when I say diet, I don't mean getting losing weight. I mean food content, the type of uh, ingredients we, we eat. Uh, this is really tricky to say what's good for us in order to maintain a healthy life and to prevent diseases, okay? I had to say that because it's really unclear and there is no clear answer there. What about geography? In other words, people who live in areas of the world where the Mediterranean diet, for example, is part of their their daily experience versus people, let's say here in the States, where that diet is not as common unless it's consciously adopted. What is the difference between the kinds of diseases that people get in the Mediterranean region versus, let's say, here in the U.S.? I'm I'm not saying that Mediterranean diet is, it's not clear whether it's a Mediterranean diet responsible for a good health. It's, it could be a mix between genetics and the diet composite, dietary composition. If you look at the people in uh, Japan, for example, uh, it's an isolated, well, at least until recently, isolated population with its own genetic uh, pool. That uh, And you may be lulled into thinking that, uh, well, let's look at their diet and, and we'll have a beneficial effect as they do. But it could be also due to their genetic background and or even a combination between the two. So again, I cannot tell you about whether Mediterranean diet is, is a, an important factor. And anyways, I don't think that people in the Middle East have less Alzheimer's than people in the, in the U.S. Oh, I think the question was more about the, the kinds of diseases that you see more or less of in each of those regions. Or maybe there isn't any. You know, people, it's random. People get what they get. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's such a complicated topic that it's difficult to discuss it within the frame of the show. But I can tell you that if you look at the map of the world and you look at the predisposition to have diabetes, for example, it's pretty evident that there are hotspots. For example, one of those hotspots is the USA. Hmm. And you can think to yourself, well, what is the reason for that? And, and there are several hypotheses, but, you know, nothing that you can say for sure, definitely, that this is the cause. People think that the diet is involved in a, a metabolic syndrome that causes uh, diabetes. Others think that diet has to do with effects on the, the microbiota in our gut, and that eventually affects 
Well, microbiota is the composition of microbes, uh, which include bacteria, viruses, fungi in our uh, guts. And people think that um, uh, they, the microbiota can affect uh, the propensity to have diabetes. So it's a very complicated story here. You cannot say, for, you know, a clear thing about it. I hear you. I do think it's interesting, though, about, you know, like identifying hotspots for certain diseases. I think that's pretty interesting. You know, when you say, okay, diabetes in the in the U.S. lights up in that category, and we understand why with the average diet. And then maybe there are other countries where something else lights up. And that's what you're suggesting, I believe, is that the the, the DNA, the genetic factor is as important as the diet and the in, and the environment. Definitely, perhaps even more. Fascinating. What other research have you been conducting? Like, are you working on new ways to diagnose Alzheimer's earlier? What else are you doing? We do multiple projects because, you know, it's, it's difficult not to start a project if, if you think about a good project. So uh, it's part of the freedom in the academia to follow up your dreams. We do have a project on developing means for an earlier diagnosis of uh, neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson. We also have a project in which we try to validate findings from animal studies that show that uh, physical activity is beneficial for uh, our long-term uh, memory capacity. So we try to recapitulate in uh, humans. And we also have a study that looks at the mechanism by which uh, physical activity helps generating uh, new neurons in the brain. It's a process called uh, neurogenesis. So while you lose a lot of neurons, or should I say nerve cells, in the brain every day, uh, there is this uh, one or two brain regions in the brain. Uh, one of them is the hippocampus we mentioned earlier, in which uh, there are new cells being formed every day. And so it was shown in animals that uh, physical activity enhances this capacity. And so we try to look at the mechanisms uh, by which it happens. And perhaps we will be able to find a factor, uh, a biological factor that we can uh, provide it externally to promote this process. I remember reading a, a recent study a few months ago. I believe it was from Japan about tango dancing. Are you familiar with that study? It was from memory? No, I'm not familiar. That they took some older dancers and the dance was specifically tango. And the idea was, or the result was, because the dance is very, very complicated, that I guess the repetition of these complicated moves and learning the dance was uh, helpful in maintaining memory. Well, I cannot uh, comment on that because I didn't read the, the paper, but, you know, I can ask questions that everyone should ask themselves. Did they compare it to a different type of dance? Did they compare it to a different type of uh, activity? So it's, it's difficult to relate to it because I can tell you that, you know, perhaps it's the social activity that, ca that comes with uh, practicing tango. You know, you need two for tango. Yeah. Uh, perhaps that's a factor. I, I don't know. It's difficult to relate to studies, uh, but any kind of activity that benefits the elderly, I, I'm for it. We are out of time, and I want to send our listeners over to your website, which is a little bit of a unique one. It's the Okun Lab, and that's O-K-U-N-L-A-B dot Wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash Okun, 
O-K-U-N Lab. Once again, that's OkenLabWixSite.com slash OkenLab. My guest today has been Professor Eitan Okan, and we are talking about Alzheimer's. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with a younger man who's got a unique story about his father's journey with Alzheimer's. Professor Oaken, thanks for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. We're going to take that break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're continuing the conversation on today's topics, the struggles of the caregiver, the search for a cure, two responses to Alzheimer's disease. My next guest is a living, breathing example of the challenges that a family dealing with this disease has to go through each day. My guest is author Simon McDermott. He's written a book entitled The Song A Minute Man, a tribute to the unbreakable bond between father and son. Let's join the conversation with Simon. So Simon, talk to us a little bit about your life and your father's life before Alzheimer's. So, well, it's a bit of a long story, really. I mean, I guess me and my dad were never really close, really, growing up. I mean, you know, I, I, I know that dad loved me. I know, you know, I loved my dad, but we were never really close. It was a bit like chalk and cheese, really. Dad was a big singer, was a bit of an entertainer. I was completely shy, very studious, buried myself in books and everything. Um, so we were completely different, really. And then your dad started showing symptoms of Alzheimer's in 2013. And what happened to you? What happened to your relationship? 2013, that's when the aggression started. He, before it, it all started before then, really, about 2011, and he was getting slightly forgetful. But then this aggression started, and it just was like off-the-scale aggression. And that was the most terrifying thing, because both for me and my mum, he, he would be both physically violent and like the slightest thing would set him off. You know, and out of nowhere, he would suddenly go for you. You know, and it's that's what, something I was never prepared for at all, you know. I mean, dad would, dad would, you know, get angry, but not to the extent that what we were dealing with. It was, it was terrifying to be around, you know. So what I think I hear you saying is in 2013 that the person that you had known began to disappear and it was replaced by this aggressive guy that was tough to handle. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say more than tough to handle. It was it was frightening, you know. I mean, like, it's weird because I guess it was like domestic abuse. And I've, it's only now in hindsight that I, I can completely understand people who have gone through domestic abuse because you you don't think, you keep it to yourself. You don't realise that it's it's them, not you, if that makes any sense, really. And we're like, I, I kept, it, I kept bo- it bottled up about what was going on at home, you know, this aggression. And um, it was like two or three years and then it just all came out, you know, because we couldn't get that diagnosed, so we couldn't get any, there was no light at the end of the tunnel really. I was in a bad place because I, I was worried about mum, what was going on at home with her and like trying to do my own stuff and then I'd get calls, I'd be at work and then I'd get my phone, my mum would call me up in tears that he'd just literally picked, grabbed her by the hair and dragged her around the house and dad would never be like that, dad would never, never touch my mum at all. So it was kind of like, well where's this coming from? You know, but it was, thankfully I called it, being out, I was at a bad bad place and I call it the Alzheimer's Society and they just like they explained the whole thing about dad's aggression and all this aggression was coming from fear basically so that changed everything for us really so for people who are listening I think we should set the scene up here your dad had an incredible yeah. career as a club singer and the song a minute man he has a magnificent voice still does have a magnificent voice and Suddenly, things started to chip away at his memory, his well-being, the family dynamic. And now you have a diagnosis. And your mom is also in a tough place because she is the primary caregiver of your dad. How did you discover that if you could sing with your dad and take him to a place of joy, that something changed? So basically what happened was it was basically to get dad out of the house. (laughs) I was so... (laughs) I was so terrified for, for mum, you know, and I thought my mum needs a break. So I, I'd take him on these drives for like a few hours, like two or three hours, just so that mum had a break from this aggression. So I, initially I took him in the car and he was abusive towards me. And then this one day I had, um, I had his tapes with me, his backing tracks that he used to sing with, and I put them on. And this guy suddenly came back, you know, my old dad, this happy guy who's always like happy and, you know, upbeat. It just turned around and he was there. He was back in the room in a way. So at any time that I knew this aggression was coming, I'd just say, right, Dad, come on, let's go for a drive. And we went out. And then it became this thing that we started to do that um, i just I just take him on these drives. But then I put these videos on Facebook because it was so bad at home that then one day we had a really nice day that I, I just recorded it and I put it on Facebook. And my friends started to share it of my dad singing. And um, I put a link to Alzheimer's fundraising site and yeah, it just kind of went a bit crazy in the space of um, a few weeks, really. So, and by crazy, we mean tens of millions of views worldwide, kind of crazy. Yeah, and it all happened in the space of like two weeks. I mean, when I say it was like quite exponential, it just kind of, I knew something was happening. I could, you know, after one day, I thought, oh, this is strange because oh, all these messages started coming in. But then it went crazy. I mean, like, I think in one day we raised like seventeen thousand pounds, and. I've never experienced it. It was like a tsunami of messages and donations that were coming into this fundraising page. And um, it just went, but I can't explain how crazy it went, really. So, And to date, you've raised uh, more than $200,000 through crowdfunding sources. I also want to ask you about your background. Prior to doing these videos and raising awareness for Alzheimer's and really protecting your mom through this journey. Yep. What was your life like? What were your pursuits? Well, basically, I just I worked for charities doing digital media and making content and everything. So I was working for a, a children's charity in the UK, 
so I, I mean, I work with social media anyway. So, but it was, I, you know, people always at work, people said we, they wanted the video to go viral on this. So I'd be trying, you know, I'd be work making videos at work, but then all of a sudden I just, it, it was literally just raise a tiny bit of money for the Alzheimer's society. Cause I thought, you know, if my friends are showing the videos that I've made, then I'll, I'll try and put something back to yeah. the Alzheimer's society. And then I wasn't expecting the extent that how big it went. You know, I thought it would be friends and family that would donate, but it, it wasn't, it was everybody. <laughs> so, um, but it was a weird time because this, this whole thing with like dementia and Alzheimer's, I guess it's kind of like, it's woken me up to um, what's important really, you know, because you realize how quick things can change, you know, and like how like loved ones can suddenly disappear and, you know, and like life is really short. That's what my learning is, I think. Well, I think what's amazing about your story is you doing what, what you love or what you're good at, then having this situation with your dad where a part of him became lost and then you dis- rediscovered that part of him, you know, through music. Then you put it all together and throw it out there in the world and see that you're really not alone. I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, when I say like, I didn't realize, I mean, we were, I felt completely alone in all this. And I think my mum did as well. And um, that was, for me, that was the, the kind of, I put it out there, created a Facebook page. And then these messages came in and people saying to me, like, I'm in the same situation as you. I don't know what to do. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. You know, <laughs> so it became, it's like, <laughs> it was like a support network, you know, and I was, um, there's a number of times I was at work and I get these long messages from people just like pouring their heart out, like literally just like at the end of a tether saying, what should I do and everything. And it was just like, wow, you know, there's a lot of people going through this that who are so alone, you know what I mean? And they don't know what to do. And that was frightening. And it wasn't just in the UK, it was around the world. I mean, I always, there was a message from this woman in the Philippines and um, she just, she wrote this like really nice message just saying what she goes through each day. And I just thought, oh my God, how does she do that? You know, how does she do that? And then all of a sudden she's got, she's watching a video of my dad singing, you know, and she said it, it made us really happy. And she said, it, it doesn't make me feel, it, it made me feel less alone. And I was like, wow, you know, that's quite an amazing experience too. I think that's my takeaway is that your journey um, makes those of us who have people in our lives with Alzheimer's and other dementias feel less alone and watching your dad sing and become electrified and you being there with him, you know, very much in the moment, you know, that this diagnosis doesn't exist in those few minutes when he's singing and he's just in it. He's just in his joy and you're there with him. Yeah, it's been... Do you know what? For me, it's been really, I don't sound like cheesy, but it's been quite, it's been quite spiritual, you know? I mean, like, it's just switched things on that, you know, you just, you kind of realize what you have. You know what I mean? If yeah. that makes any sense? Yeah, I don't think sometimes it's cheesy. For granted. Yeah. Sometimes, I, think, I think it's not until things are taken away or the threat of them being t- taken away that you realize, God, actually things are okay. <laughs> I had nothing to worry about, you know, things are okay and how, how appreciative you are of things really that's what I feel now but you know I think to me like the whole thing is just like you know as long as you're with people that you love and you care for and they're happy and you're happy that's all that matters you know the rest is material I really think you know that you know yeah but um one day this, this woman sent me a, um, a message on the page and she said something like um the only thing will last is what's in your heart you know, and mm. I just thought, oh God, that sums everything up, you know, because 
everything like everything material disappear, but you know it's feelings that remain really so I like that the, the what remains is what's in your heart and and listening to you and your dad sing i mean it just really br- brings a smile to my face we're gonna we're gonna pepper this entire interview with with songs and I, and i and I encourage everyone to check out your social media pages. We're going to take that break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. I can remember when we walked together. How much do I love you? I'll tell you no lies. L is for the way you look. At me, oh, is for the only one I see. V is very, very. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast episode, especially if you know or love somebody who is dealing with Alzheimer's and other dementias. We're talking about the struggles of the caregiver and the search for a cure, two very different responses to Alzheimer's disease. And we're continuing the conversation with author Simon McDermott. He wrote the book, about his dad, the song A Minute Man, a tribute to the unbreakable bond between father and son. So, Simon, let me ask you a little bit about the kind of music that your dad sings. Because in my view, and I'm a woman of a certain age, it's the sort of the cool rat pack lounge cocktail hour coolness, you know? And I would love for you to talk more. Well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I wouldn't say it was like um, lounge music. I think it's more like, it's more of a Frank Sinatra stuff, Al Martino, it's big band stuff. Yeah. You know, it's all that kind of like... Rat Pack, um, though. Like my, my dad's, yeah, totally Rat Pack. It's all that kind of like, you know, the big band stuff, you know, they're full of energy and everything. So that's my dad's sound. I mean, like some people said, oh, your dad's a jazz singer. I'm like, no, he's, he's far from jazz. My dad's really like, you know, he's like the Sinatra kind of stuff, you know. It's all that kind of style. 
it's it's swing really. Balladeer. Um, got I mean, energy. So I would call him a bit of a balladeer. <laughs> a balladeer. Yeah, I guess. I don't really know. What do you mean by balladeer? Like he sings sort of these croony love songs. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, my dad always says like now, even though he's he's you know he's quite confused in that. He always he's calls himself like what's he called? Like it's it's kind of like I think it's like pop opera in a way. So he's got he's, he's got a really big strong voice, but it's kind of like you know it is love songs really. That's what it is. It's it's a whole swing stuff, and he can go from like really hardcore swing to then kind of quite an emotive stuff like you know like, I, I don't know if you know here in my heart. One of like it's one of the early I think it's one of the first um, number ones in the UK, and it's like that's all really emotive, but it's quite operatic as well. You mm-hmm. know, so he's kind of like he can do different styles as well. So he's um, he's quite versatile. <laughs> so Dad's got a record deal. Yeah. So these, after these videos and after they went viral, I got a phone call. Well, I got an email from Decca saying, "Would you be interested in doing a charity single?" And I was like, "That would be amazing," <laughs> you know. And we took Dad down to London, and it was quite stressful because I, I didn't know what I was getting into, and it, this whole thing happened so fast. And we walked into this room, and I thought it was going to be a band of like five people maximum. And then we walked into this recording studio, and it was thirty. It was a big band orchestra. It was a thirty-man person orchestra, and oh. I was completely blown away. Yeah, I was just. I remember saying to my mum, "Oh my god, I didn't think it was this big." You know, and then the, the guy from Decca came up and he said, oh, I, thought, I thought I told you, it, this is like the Guy Borker Orchestra. I was like, I wasn't expecting anything like this. Yeah, it was just amazing. You know, it, it, even now it gives me goosebumps just um, talking about it because we suddenly found ourselves in this situation of surrealness of like, oh, we're in a massive recording studio with an orchestra. <laughs> so... I would imagine for your dad to walk into that space and to be fully in his element and embraced by the music that he must have been on air. Well, initially he wasn't because obviously it was such a big orchestra. They put, you know, it's obviously flutes and there's different, there's different instruments there. Because dad usually, sing, usually sings with like a three-person band or something. So you've got all these different music, music kicks in. So initially, it was, Dad was a bit confused and he was quite stressful. And he called everybody, every name under the sun. But we had to change the position where Dad was. And we put him right at the front of the orchestra next to the conductor. And that was it. He thought they were the audience. You know, so then all of a sudden, the showman came back and he was like on cloud nine. He was singing along, you know, he had a, he had a great time. And that was amazing to watch as well, really, because, again, you saw this. Basically, Dad's aggression comes from his fear, you know, not knowing what's going on. But once he's in his space where he, where he knows what he can do, which is singing and entertaining, he's fine. You know, he's, he's great, you know. Oh, he's so, he's so animated. And you see this happy soul when he sings. And I guess that's what I love most about watching those videos is, you understand what's going on because we know the backstory now. You know that there's there's this diagnosis, yeah. there are these difficult times, that he's been very angry, aggressive, and yet there he goes when he sings and it's almost as if his brain just goes into flow. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like he... It's the thing that Dad is passionate about and it's the thing that he knows off by art. You know, so even though around him he's got no idea where he is, he doesn't know who I am, doesn't know who my mum is, the thing that always is inside him is music and he can sing songs and it's it's like it's pre-programmed into his brain, you know, that it's it's always going to be there for him. So he can't make a cup of tea, but he can sing a song from the 1930s off by art, you know. 
Incredible. <laughs> what is the name of the album? So the album's called Song a Minute by Teddy Mike. So yeah. And is it out or is it coming out? Um, it's only on iTunes and Amazon, um, but you can get the actual CD from songaminuteman.com. So yeah, that's where you can get it from, really. But you can, you can download it from iTunes or Amazon. And it's like, it's, it's 13 big band tracks. I mean, it's, we actually did the album ourselves and we used the same orchestra because we got so many people asking for an album that we, um, we decided to crowdfund it. So people paid in advance and we used that money to you know, basically get the orchestra, really. Well, it sounds like for you, Simon, it, you also figured out your purpose, you know, with all this, this uh, you, ca- cause work, you know? Do you know what? It's been the most surreal couple of years. It really has, because it was so bad at home. I kind of, I resigned from a job to get, move back home to live with mum and dad because I was so worried about dad's aggression. And that month that I, between the, between the point where I resigned to the point where I had to leave the office, that's when everything went viral. And I always say that like somebody was looking down at me because what would we have done? You know, I'd have, I'd have gone back to Blackburn and it'd been really heavy, you know, with dad's aggression. But then all of a sudden, like dad got a record deal and then that just pushed me into a different direction of, you know, okay, we're all about music now. And it's like we could, you know, I spent hours with my dad um, making this album, you know, and like that was just an amazing experience as well for me and my dad because, you know, we were never really close growing up, but then we all of a sudden had this bond. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, yeah, it was, it was been amazing. And like, you know, now when I take dad for a drive now and this, he chats to me like, you know, we're like best friends. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know that I'm his son, but he'll chat to me for hours about X, Y, and Z. But, you know, it's, ama- it's just, I've had a really quite a big spiritual experience, you know, because I mean, he's like, he talks to me about his son, which is all really odd, you know? So I'm driving around through the countryside in near Lancashire. He's telling me all these stories about his son. And I'm like, this is surreal. Wow. You know, and luckily we're all good. <laughs> He's not moaning about me. So, which is great. Sounds <laughs> like a love story. You know, it's, it's actually a, a beautiful love story out of, born out of a very difficult situation. And I completely see how this is a spiritual journey or, and awakening. Yeah, definitely. It has been, I mean, the years, I mean, I think also, cause I was, you know, I'm my early 40s. And I think a few years ago, I was probably having a, like a, a kind of a midlife crisis of what am I doing with my life? And, you know, w- you know, why don't I have this? I don't have like a, um, a flat or I don't have a car or something like this. And where's my job going? And then obviously dad had dementia. And then you suddenly think, do you know what? This doesn't matter because as long as you have a good day, that's, that's what matters. It really does, you know? The wow. rest is just, I always say the rest is fluff because... You know, it's, it, it can be taken away in an instant. You know, I'd rather have people around me that I love than something material, really. It doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Simon, you come know. back again and teach us some more life lessons. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to sound like a hippie or anything, but um, it is, if I'm honest, that's what it's been, it's been like. So. Thank you, Simon Mac McDermott. Thanks for joining us on today's show. Once again, to learn more about the work of Simon McDermott, please consider his book, The Song of Minute Man, a tribute to the unbreakable bond between father and son. It will pull at your heartstrings, I promise. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. 
It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guest today, Dr. Eitan Okun and Simon McDermott, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.